Hello and welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly data centers and telecoms news roundup podcast published every Friday, brought to you by Capacity and Data Economy. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief from Max Lima, and with me I have our Editor-at-Large, Alan Burkett-Gray, Deputy Editor, Melanie Mingus, and Senior Reporters, Abigail Opia and Natalie Bannerman. In this week's episode, we look at the first wave of financial results of quarter two, Google's new subsea cable project, the latest on Telefonica's roadmap, and we ask what is happening with OneWeb as the company secures $50 million from a US billionaire satellite tycoon. And first up, let's um, crack on with the financial season. This week, we have had the, the first big wave of quarterly and half year results coming through. Back in April, we delved into quarter one and looked at the impact of COVID-19 and its consequences on companies' books for the first three months of the year. But with quarter two now over, just how much has the pandemic really affected telcos? Um, Melanie, you've been looking at this story um, since yesterday. So what, what do you have for us? Um, well, the short answer to your question, Zhao, is that it isn't entirely pretty, but there are some strong highlights. Um, now, we've seen dozens of companies release their results over recent days. Um, today has been particularly busy in Europe, and we still have a few major announcements to come from the US once markets close there. Um, now, in Europe, Bloomberg calculated that firms worth more than $2 trillion US dollars are due to report just today, um, which is the 30th of July when we record. Um, but obviously, we're just going to focus on the telcos. Um, and on that front, there have been some highlights, but some of the performance figures actually vary quite considerably. So there are obviously lots of nuances in various country markets right now. Um, and like you said, Zhao, obviously, the other side to the story is that this reporting season includes a full quarter of COVID business conditions for the first time. Um, so that gives us an indication of how much COVID has cost telcos so far. Um, and a couple have come out and put actual figures on that. Um, Talia said a couple of weeks ago, actually, that the pandemic has cost it north of 110 million US dollars um, in the second quarter alone. Um, and Telefonica recently, um, I think today estimated the crisis costed 806 million euros so far. Um, but on the reporting front, we're going to start with Orange. Um, now, this one really demonstrates the performance disparity that I just mentioned between different country markets. Um, now, the highlight for Orange was Poland, which saw its eighth consecutive quarter of growth, growing by 2.6% in Q2 after 0.9% growth in Q1. Um, now, the CEO of Orange Poland was moved to head Spanish operations as part of Orange's European management shakeup not long ago. Um, so it'll be good to see if that success can be emulated in Spain, because incidentally, Spain was not one of Orange's strongest performers in Q2. Um, over there, there was a 6.8% decline in sales, and revenues from retail services dropped 7.2%. Um, but again, there's a correlation there with life under lockdown in that market. Um, if we jump to the Middle East and Africa now for Orange, that region saw revenues grow 3.8% in the first six months of the year, which is good. Um, but the breakdown tells another story because that growth was predominantly generated in the first quarter, which recorded 6.2%, um, while the second quarter only saw growth of 1.3%. So Orange has actually felt a sharp contraction in the Middle East and Africa quarter on quarter. Um, but then again, they saw a 40% increase in 4G customers year on year. So another mixed bag. Um, but another final point to note on Orange as a group, another factor um, kind of impacted their performance in Europe, and that was um, the equipment sales, which dropped 16.9%. Um, so yeah, their share price took a bit of a tumble early on July 30th as a result of those um, reportings. Um, but moving on today, we've also heard from O2. 
Um, and it's fair to say that with, I think it's 34.1 million customers now, um, its results can be considered kind of a barometer of sorts for the health of the UK mobile industry right now. Um, so O2 reported what it called a slight revenue decline, um, which in hard figures is 1.1%, and profitability was down 1.6% over the first half. Um, now, O2 has put this down to SMIP installation and roaming services specifically um, being impacted by COVID. Um, but COVID did also bring some operational highlights for to um, because the company says it doubled the capacity of its voice network um, to meet the quote unprecedented demand um, and also boosted its 4G services. Um, now parent company Telefonica reported year-on-year -year growth in operating sorry, operating cash flow, um, both in the second quarter and the first half, um, and a reduction in net debt of 7.5% year on year. But revenue actually declined 10%, which is quite painful in anybody's book. And like Orange, Telefonica saw some of the worst declines in Spain again. Um, but the CEO said that the firm contained the impact on revenues, and, you know, it's not too bad. Um, they had a strategy, um, which he says that through strong operational management, cost control, and capex, they kind of managed to um, stem the bleeding a little bit, so to speak. But again, there's good news out there. So if we look at Telia, um, Telia saw net sales increase 2.7% and service revenues grow 4.7%. But there was a material impact from Turkcell divestment as well as COVID. Um, and then finally, Ericsson's results um, came out last week, actually. Um, and it reported net, net income increased 40% year on year and 13% between Q1 and Q2, while the first half year on year increased in net income stood at 14%. So phenomenal growth there for Ericsson, while others, you know, have really, really um, felt a sting, let's say. Um, the other big name in Europe, Nokia, its results are due out tomorrow. Um, and we also mentioned earlier that US results will start to trickle through once markets close there. Um, but obviously, there are five major firms there that I expect most people will be paying some extra attention to, and they are Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft. Um, the CEOs of all five are currently tied up in the US antitrust hearings, which we're also covering across data economy, and which we'll be addressing in next week's podcast. So one to keep an eye on over the next week. All right. Thank you, Melanie. That is, those are very good updates. Um, and it's good to see that the markets, despite some some reductions in the, in the revenues and the profits and books and stuff it's still actually quite healthy um overall um in covid yeah it's, it's an interesting one i'd be interested to hear your thoughts as well because obviously we've seen some like really strong results but also some poor results but we all thought the tele you know the telecoms industry would kind of be insulated to an to an extent obviously there are market factors there are equipment sales there's geopolitical concerns a lot of other stuff going on um but some of the declines there have actually been surprising to me no sure and then i think alan can also add um adding some thoughtful thoughts into it um but i mean there's been a lot of disruption around so it was not going to be like roses for everyone um as we also expected three months ago um the supply chain has been really disrupted Business models have been disrupted. Some people have been quite slow at releasing things. Um, not saying that, particularly in the examples you've given, is the reason why the results went down on some of them. Um, but the market has shifted tremendously in the last three months. Um, and there's always winners and losers. I mean, that's the natural piece of the game. And especially with crisis, there will always be winners and losers. Um, but Alan, what do you what do you think? Um, yeah, I think I think as you say, Xiao. I mean, there was ups and downs for every all companies and some have i haven't seen any really great results from anybody have i don't think i think and there is sort of a long slow decline in in revenues um i did a story on wednesday uh that really the revenue um 
the market for um, home broadband equipment, in other words, terminals, is actually going down, you know, slightly. It's sort of plateauing. There's not a sort of huge surge in, in the market and uh, for broadband and telecoms equipment. It's sort of steady. I mean, it's kept us all going over the last few months and we're immensely grateful, but I don't think there's a huge upsurge in uh, spending. Mm. It'll be interesting to see um, as we get more results in, Melanie, as well, if this is a trend that will be reversed and if you're going to see more better results, if that makes any sense, um, or if we're going to start seeing some some real impact. Um, exactly. Um, and if there's still that correlation with the COVID outbreaks as well. Mm. Yeah, and then I remember last time, because we, when we talked about this in quarter one, we were very much of the opinion that um, I mean, by the time things got really bad, there was already one sort of two months already passed by in the quarter. So we were already in March, the end of the quarter. Um, we couldn't really get a true picture of the potential financial impacts. Um, this is the first quarter that has been completely submerged or merged into the pandemic. And I think if you compare it with what's happening in other other industries, I mean, the airline industry and mm. the leisure industry and so on, and the retail business, I mean, they're really yeah. hurting. So. Well, compared to those, I mean, <laughs> we, we have no issues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and financial and, uh, results that James are made of. Yeah, and the automotive industry. I mean, look what's happening there. It's. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's no need to drive right now. So, um, you know, it will definitely be, be interesting to see, and then it will be interesting to see how the next few months will go. Um, because, I mean, I think in February, March, most people thought this will be over by around now. Um, and obviously, as everyone can see, if they turn on their TVs um, or just log in on the Internet, um, you can see that's not going away so soon um, and it's going to stay with us for quite a while. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things are going to move as we go into winter. Uh, and then, of course, quarter three results will be very interesting to see as well, because that's when most furlough schemes around the world would also end um, and you will see true economic impact beyond telecoms. I mean, the true real global economic impact um, of the well, pandemic. Well, Q3 is also the earliest that a recession can be called because mm. you have to have two quarters of negative growth. So, you know, depending okay, so. on what happens in various markets, things could really, really nosedive for the next results. So, yeah, yeah. like you say, watch this space. So it's really concerning. And uh, I don't know if you guys seen, but I think with either Spain or France, for instance, uh, one of them has already expanded, the, extended the furlough scheme all the way until December for the, the tourism events, um, all the sort of industries. So you can expect the next six months to be tough once more. But, um, but well, thank you, Melanie, in terms of telecoms. But Abigail, we've also seen in the data center space, we've had the first results coming through. Um, we start with a big one, so Equinix. What do you have for us? It didn't seem to be that bad. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem to be that bad for Equinix at all. So this week, the company actually reported revenues of 1.47 billion for the second quarter of um, 2020, which included a $3 million foreign currency benefit when compared to prior guidance rates. Um, this is actually Equinix's 70th consecutive quarter of revenue growth. So that just speaks for itself really. The company reported um, operating income of $282 million, which is an 11% increase over the previous quarter and an operating margin of 19%. Um, for the third quarter of 2020, Equinix expects revenues to range between $1.493 million to $1.513 billion 
um, sorry, both billion, I made a mistake there, um, which is an increase of two to three percent quarter over quarter. So all of its um, you know, results have actually been quite positive and they did give an update of COVID and just how they maneuvered their business um, during the period and nothing seemed to have changed um, over the course of this lockdown. And if you know, it shows through um, their revenues, their full year of 2020 total revenues was expected to reach around five point nine billion dollars which is a six to eight percent increase over the previous year so just smiles around in the Iconics building really oh no that's that's amazing and we've seen some um some new data centers being launched um over the last three months as well i think the latest one was in hong kong 51 million dollars if i'm not mistaken yeah i think um, the numbers of the one in hong kong and the one in milan was exact same so they had mm. finished um the expansion of hong kong with 51 million dollars and in milan they also spent 51 million dollars to be precise on the first phase of that data center so it was quite interesting that the numbers were the same um but yeah so with hong kong uh, the, the facility now includes an additional 1000 cabinets the company now provides a total co-location space of about 34,500 square meters in hong kong to support digital transformation in the region um it couldn't said that its hong kong data centers are business hubs for more than 550 companies so in total the company have well in asia pacific the company have um, data center facilities, five in Hong Kong, six in Shanghai, 11 in Tokyo, four data centers in Singapore, one in Osaka and one in Jakarta, Indonesia. Um, so yeah, just quite interesting to see um, it connects this week, turning out, you know, Hong Kong as well as turning out their financial results. Mm, that's, that's interesting. And now we'll, we're going to wait to see what the other guys publish as well. Um, yeah. Digital Realty, QTS. Um, so let's keep an eye on those and then we'll see but um, I don't think we are expecting any surprise on those. Um, yeah, it's it should relatively be the same. Otherwise, we would have been notified already mm -hmm. of, you know, you would have seen some sort of pattern shift. So, yeah, yeah it would be quite interesting just to see them really report kind of like the same kind of growth as Equinix. But that was not the only interesting thing that I found this week as um, I received a, uh, a report by datacenterpricing.com about African data centers. So from Hong Kong data centers to African data centers, this week a report um, found that half of the countries in Africa have now launched third-party data center facilities. So um, datacenterpricing.com actually revealed from its findings that the total data center space and power um, in Africa as um, the whole continent is equivalent to markets in Spain and Switzerland, which does sound relatively small considering Africa's size. Um, but I guess, you know, being where it is in terms of development and stuff, it's definitely progress. Um, the report forecasted that the Southern African region accounted for 54% of total third party African data center raised floor space, with South Africa alone accounting for 90% of the whole space in the region, which is absolutely huge but we've already seen that most people that are building data centers are heading to South Africa anyway. Um, North Africa was dubbed the next largest region and in total DCP forecast that the overall market for African data center raised floor space will total 142,000 square meters um, as of the beginning of 2021 with a 49% growth overall um, from the beginning of 2025. So that is going to be interesting to watch the progress there. And there is a lot of interest. Um, I did even mention 
um, a few people have messaged me on LinkedIn about that report. So it will be interesting just to see um, just the growth in Africa in general. And my last one, I know we usually stick to two stories, but I decided to throw in a third one, which was Amazon. They've created a thousand new permanent jobs in Ireland this week, which is amazing. Lockdown, everybody's like worried, uncertain about their position, where they are. So this is quite brilliant to um, actually report on as well as like to find out what they're doing. Some of the new roles will be based in Cork and Dublin sites. Um, Amazon said it will help support Ireland's economy recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. The new employee opportunities will range from software development engineers, network deployment engineers, system development engineers, as well as data center technicians and much, much more. The list was really long. But yeah, so more jobs in Ireland um, for data centres, basically. And I just think that was very, very interesting and very nice to report on. Okay, no, 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 uh, absolutely. I mean, there's two good news stories as well. Um, and I think we all need to go for good news. I think with um, with Amazon slash AWS, we will also keep an eye out for the antitrust hearing in the US. Um, so I believe, Melanie, uh, you're keeping a close eye on that. Um, on the Africa data centre market, I mean, I think everyone knows my opinion about it. It's super exciting. Um, Super curious to see how is it going to go um, over the next couple of years. Um, we know that there's quite a few companies spending, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. There's one company going north of one billion dollars in the next two years. So there is a lot, a lot, a lot of activity. And even if COVID has a little bit of a, an impact and delays construction of data centers in Africa because the supply chain has been disrupted, you can really expect, I mean, by 2024, 25, for Africa to really, I mean. If now you compare the whole continent to Spain or Switzerland, two or three years' time, you're going to potentially compare it to a lot more countries put together. Um, yeah. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting, and I think it's going to go really quick, um, especially as um, countries like Egypt, Morocco, they build those new mega smart billion, trillion dollar new cities um, that are completely powered by ICT, um, telecoms and data centers. So it'll be a massive boost for the entire continent. Um, so definitely, definitely a very interesting stories. Um, okay, thank you, Abigail. And Natalie, so let's dive into the subsea world and you're our subsea queen and you hate so, but <laughs> we still go with it. Um, so Google Cloud has announced that it is building a new subsea cable which will connect the US, UK and Spain. Um, what, what do you know about this, um, this project? Why is this an important project and why another cable? Because um, I thought we have quite a few from Facebook and Microsoft as well, so... Yeah, we do actually. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, they're building another cable, UK, US and Spain. Um, really, long story short, it's a, a, a particularly busy route uh, just to do with the, the kind of activity in those regions. And it's actually going to be the first new system to connect the US and the UK since uh, 2003. Uh, so uh, I imagine much needed capacity is probably needed along that route. Now, the system called the Grace Hopper Cable, uh, will the company has said it will provide better resilience for the network that underpins Google's consumer and enterprise products, which obviously shows uh, that the, their particular uh, portfolios are in high demand. Um, it will also better help integrate uh, Google's upcoming cloud region in Madrid um, and integrate that into its global infrastructure. So quite a calculating move on uh, Google's part. Um, it will feature about 16 fiber pairs, so 32 fibers in total. 
and will be built by Subcom. Um, it will also feature something called the novel optical fiber switching um, oh. into the cable. Yeah, which uh, actually uh, will help improve uh, network reliability and it actually enables Google to better move traffic around, um, you know, in the case of outages. So uh, mm. pretty, pretty interesting uh, piece of technology. Um, but in true Google fashion, um, they're keeping their cars fairly close to their chest with regards to the length and the capacity of the system overall. Um, obviously, they've given us the fiber pairs, but not how many, uh, you know, terabytes of, 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 of traffic it can hold. Perhaps more details um, from either Google or Subcom will be given over the few months. Uh, from my perspective, really happy to see that the cable will be uh, is being named after the American com uh, computer scientist Grace Hopper. Uh, I'm sure everybody's uh, aware of the uh, the events and the awards that is hel um, held every year. It's a pretty big event for, uh, celebrating women in telecoms. Um, and for those who don't know, Grace is actually known for her work um, as one of the first linkers or compilers, um, which was critical in the development of uh, COBOL uh, computer programming language, which is actually still in use today. So a very uh, worthy uh, um, honor for her um, and the project itself is actually expected to be completed in 2022 so we're still a few years out um, and like I said hopefully more details will be shared but um, yeah as it's a private cable uh, a few a few things are, are still left to be seen. Mm, okay very interesting and we'll keep an eye on it and all the other ones as well. Can I just add that Grace Hopper was just before she died the oldest uh, officer in the US Navy because she stayed long beyond her retirement and she finally died three decades ago when she was uh, yeah. in her 80s but she was at that time the oldest officer still serving in the US Navy because they kept asking her she just was so uh, valuable to the development of computer technology um, and, and COBOL as, as Natalie says she was absolutely instrumental in positioning COBOL where it is today. Yeah. Interesting stuff and um Definitely that new technology as well that they're using. Um, one thing that we, maybe we need to look more into details. Um, but then another story they covered this week um, was that um, Liberty Latin America is entering into a definitive agreement to acquire Telefonica's wireless operations in Costa Rica um, yes. in a deal that's worth about half a billion dollars. Um, I mean, why are they investing half a billion dollars? What what does it mean to the to the region? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's hardly a surprise that Telefonica is selling uh, its Costa Rica operations because uh, I believe it was at the end of last year that the company actually announced that it was, uh, it actually revealed, sorry, its five-point plan and it was divesting a lot of its LATAM assets because it was particularly focusing on uh, four key regions, which was uh, Brazil, uh, the UK, Spain and Germany. Um, so hardly a surprise with regards to them actually selling their assets. Now, the 500 million, as you mentioned, um, is based on the enterprise value of um, Telefonica Costa Rica and actually equates about six times uh, the company's adjusted operating income. Um, so, um, uh, it's always an interesting one as to how they actually came about um, those figures. But um, yes, I'm not going to question that because I'm not an analyst. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but that is that is uh, roughly what they've, they've said that it's worth. Um, the news actually follows as well. Um, Telefonica's failed attempt to sell the unit to Millicom back in May. The deal fell through because Millicom actually didn't have all the regulatory approvals to complete the deal. So again, hardly surprising. Um, and uh, I believe it was uh, a few months after that that it was reported that Telecom actually received uh, a 10 billion euro um, offer from a consortium of um, 
of uh, billionaires to actually acquire 51% stake in all of its LATAM assets. Now, nothing actually came from that report, but it's certainly uh, known that um, Telefonica has been trying to uh, ship off its assets in the region. Now, once the, transa the transaction is complete, uh, Liberty Latin America said that it intends for Telefonica Costa Rica Costa Rica to become part of the VTR credit pool, which will also include Cabaletica. Um, it's, it's subject to the standard closing and regulatory approvals, and it has a uh, tentative closing date of the first half of 2021. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be keeping our, uh, an eye out for that, because as we saw with the Millicom uh, deal, anything could happen between now and then, especially when it comes to getting regulatory approvals and, and all the kind of standard closing conditions. Mm. Okay, thank you, Natalie. Uh, but, um, th well, there wasn't everything from Telefonica this week. Um, and Alan, I think now over to you um, for your coverage. But we had the company's chairman, Jose Maria Alvarez Palete, announcing that the operator will cover all of Spain with fiber by 2025 as part of what he called digital reinvention of the country. Um, what do we know about this? Is this groundbreaking? What's, what's going on with Telefonica in Spain? Yeah, thanks, Xiao. Yeah, I think the message is that if you're in Europe and you're waiting for full fibre somewhere, well, Spain's going to be the place to go. As you said, it announced this morning that it plans to make Spain 100% fibred by 2025. Um, and I can't think of another country in Europe that has got such an ambition, except maybe Ireland, uh, where there is a, a rural broadband project. Um, but for, for a big country of that sort of size, you know, Germany, Spain, UK, France, I can't think of any other, or Poland, I can't think of any that has got equivalent ambition. It's part of um, a post-COVID revival plan for Spain to reactivate the economy. Um, sounds ambitious. They haven't put a price on it, um, and they haven't also put a price on or estimated what they will charge people for a subscription. Uh, but it's a, a really an interesting um, breakthrough, I think, for Telefonica. Um, and as a comparison, uh, Openreach, the subsidiary of BT uh, here in the UK that operates the last mile fixed networks on, on behalf of all operators, so Sky, Virgin, Vodafone, BT and the rest, uh, had a, an um, announcement this week that it plans to fibre up what it called the final third of the programme uh, of the country, uh, rural areas. But uh, this doesn't mean that the other two thirds of Britain have got full fibre, by no means. Uh, I, I read that story and I wondered when I get full fibre, um, I get fibre to the cabinet at the moment, which gives me 60 megs. Uh, no plans at Openreach's website when I typed in my address and a friend of mine who's a, another technology journalist lives just around the corner from the Silicon Roundabout in central London, uh, where Inmarsat and all those people are based. Uh, no plans either, Openreach told him, so he was a bit disappointed. Um, mm. So it's created a huge opportunity for rival fibre companies. This week, the a company called Community Fibre announced that uh, a £400 million funding deal to build out fibre to the home in London in competition with Openreach. Um, and they'll be offering up to one gig. Ah, wow, is all I can say to that. And there's others, there's companies like uh, City Fibre and Hyperoptic that have recognised if you wait for Openreach, you'll wait a long time. Um, and they're actively building rival fibre networks. And the British government keeps saying, it's been saying for years that it wants UK to be the best place for broadband and it doesn't look like it from where I'm sitting. Um, anyway, rant over. Uh, yeah, well, there's this I've saying... I missed my opportunity to move to Spain, I suppose. 
Ah, well, it's never too late. But, uh, well, there's that saying that... Uh, well, it's Brexit, so I don't have any qualifications to go to Spain. But there we are. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure so Spain will create some sort of special visas. Um, they already have them in place. But uh, on the politics side, I heard this saying, which was, uh, well, you know when a politician is lying when they move their lich. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, well, actually, this uh, fits in well with, um, with our next story that you also covered this week um, regarding the British government and ICT infrastructure. And this time we move into the satellite sector. Um, so we mentioned last week that we will be talking about OneWeb this week. And coincidence or not, they've just secured a good few millions of dollars from billionaire satellite tycoon Charlie Ergen. Um, yeah. Give us the inside scoop, Alan. Yeah, well, as you say, a couple of weeks ago, the bankrupt satellite company OneWeb uh, won a billion dollars funding from Bahati, which is an Indian telecoms company, and the UK government, which is not known for its investment in telecoms. Um, that's a 50-50 split, 500 million each. And a number of, I think we were going talking about this this time last week, a number of politicians were questioning it and a senior civil servant in the Department of Enterprise, Industry and Industrial Strategy. Um, they were asking challenging questions. Why was this being done? What was the return on investment? Were there better ways to spend the money? Anyway, um, and I think we said last week that there were probably other people beyond Bahati and the UK government that would come in because there'd be a billion dollars isn't enough. So this week, Hughes, which is a well-established US satellite company, it's actually named after Howard Hughes, that aviator who went nuts, is long ago dead, so there's no libel risk there. Um, but that's owned by Echostar, which is another satellite company. Uh, they joined the game and Echostar was owned by, you say, uh, Charlie Ergen, who's you know, a satellite entrepreneur, and t satellite TV entrepreneur who's been around forever. I remember him at satellite and cable TV shows in the 1990s, uh, pottering around in his uh, woolly sweater and jeans, uh, selling his three foot satellite dishes to people. And his company's coughed up $50 million, which isn't much compared with a billion, but uh, Hughes had a role providing facilities to OneWeb before the Mark I of the company went into bankruptcy protection earlier this year. And I suppose you could think of this as a ticket back into the into the game with OneWeb. Um, they haven't said what they're going to do, you know, what their rationale is. Um, it's quite a big operator, Hughes. Uh, it provides satellite services to governments and industry around the world. And I think the British government, as much as it has made clear, uh, well, it was a funny story because the original were going to do it for a global positioning system. Um, but then they sort of shifted their ground and said they would provide satellite services to industry and governments and enterprise and so on. Exactly what Hughes is. So I, I suppose that expertise would be useful to the business. Indeed, Hughes is planning to merge its Indian satellite business with that of Bahati, uh, which, as I've just said, is the other commercial partner in this uh, attempted rescue of OneWeb. Uh, will there be others? Um, at this moment, we don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's conversations going on. The previous backers of OneWeb Mark One, all of which face losing their investment of their influence, include SoftBank, the Japanese company, which is trying its hardest to get out of debt. Virgin Group, Richard Branson's group, which is trying to keep the Virgin Atlantic airline alive. Airbus, the French company, which started the whole project and faces a dearth of aircraft orders in the coming year. And Intelsat, which is also in bankruptcy protection. So as you see, there's a, a lot of sick and wounded entities in the satellite business at the moment. Um, they're really having a hard time. Um, OneWeb, will it survive? I don't know. Um, I've had a lot of people raising their eyebrows at me and wondering what the legitimacy of this decision is. But uh, 
especially faced with SpaceX and and, and ventures and Amazon uh, and other ventures like that that are going into this uh, low Earth orbit and medium Earth orbit satellite business. There's a lot of potential there, I would think, but whether OneWeb is the right one, I don't know. Shout out. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And um, as you mentioned, there's a lot of them wounded out there. Maybe we all just have to wait to colonize Mars so they can do the communications between Earth and Mars <laughs> um, and get them all yes. out of bankruptcy. <laughs> that will take just a little while, but we can you start working on it. Do you think there's a Martian equivalent of all with Orson Welles doing a sort of War of the Worlds radio program from Mars at this very moment, <laughs> watching Probably. the rocket take off uh, and coming towards them? <laughs> Maybe in the parallel universe, we're also like talking about something else. Um, no, but th thank you, for, thank you for that, Alan. Um, well, and thank you everyone for for your contributions with the, the stories from this week. I think it's been quite an interesting week. And um, as we step, it doesn't seem like this year is going to slow down um, in terms of stories because I think everyone is still relying on um, on what's happening with the pandemic, and we're definitely going to bring that more over the next four weeks as we prepare for to come back for the second part of the year, which technically starts in, in September for, for everyone. Um, but we will keep our readers updated and do go on our websites to check all the news and features and the latest magazines and also the latest polls and nominations. Um, we are running two nominations at the moment for the Global Carrier Awards, um, which the nomination day, the, the deadline will be the 5th of August. Um, so make sure you nominate and submit your submissions so we can get the judges judging and we can all celebrate the industry at the end of October. And we've also got um, the Global Women in Tech and Telco Awards at the end of September. Um, so we let's all get together and celebrate diversity. Deadline is also at the end of next week. Um, so make sure you submit your nominations. With that said, that's all from me and the team for this week's episode of the Digital Digests. Thank you to our listeners at home and do join, do join us again next week when we talk about the top stories that will make the headlines over the next seven days. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to both the economy and capacity newsletters. And for me and the team, have a good weekend.